so much again for for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for love us so much. Jesus said, even when we were still sinners, Father God, you died for us. You, you made a way for us to be reconciled back to you. Yes, Father, Lord. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful, Lord Jesus. I know that all of, all of us here in the group, Father God, we are so thankful that you rescued us, that you were so merciful and so patient and loving and kind with us, Father God, that you uh, rescued us from darkness and now we are living in the light and we are at peace with you, Lord Jesus, through your son, Father God. And I, I just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great love and your mercy. We love you, Jesus. And like Paul says and, and multiple times, Lord Jesus, uh, if we live, we live for you and we die, we, we die for you, Lord Jesus. We love you and we, we, we are so thankful for, for everything, Lord Jesus. And thank you for, for the time that we are living. That we are living, Father God, and we are here to testify the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, Father God, and we are here to to do exactly what you call us to, Lord Jesus, to be your servants, to be your people, your chosen generation for such a time as this, Father God. So right now we come together to worship you, we come together to honor you, we come together to hear from your throne of grace, Father God. And Jesus, we ask you for the Spirit that you penetrate our heart like a door so ancient is closed. Anything that is not belong to you, Father God, and yes, Lord. to lay it down at the cross, Father God, and to and to have the mind of Christ, to mm. have the peace of Jesus, Father God, the peace of us is all understanding that will cover us from the top of our head to the sole of our feet, Father God. But Jesus, that we will have, we will be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, Father God, that we will not be just here of the word of God, but that we will be doers of what you call us to, Father. So we give you the glory and the honor, Lord Jesus. We ask you, Lord Jesus, this morning you give your servant uh, uh, everything that you have given him, Father God, to share with us. And Lord Jesus, that we will be attentive, attentive to your leading, Father God. And again, Lord Jesus, we love you, we honor you, we worship you, and we are here to hear from you, Lord Jesus. So have your way this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship our King. There's a grace that comes when we say yes To the fire of your holiness We want you and we want nothing less Fill our empty hands and lives Jesus We are blessed when we have nothing left But to hunger for your righteousness we want you and we want nothing less Break the pride and hinders us Jesus Your church arise In truth and grace
mercy for every single moment of my life. The fountains of your forgiveness reflected in the light of your Thank you. 
Father, we need you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God, how we need you, Father. Pray that to be the cry of our hearts, God. Lord, just... We just lay down our lives, Father. We don't want to be enslaved to the flesh. We don't want to be enticed by the things of this world. Father, we just want you. Father, we need more and more of you, Father. God, that you would give us, Lord Jesus, a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness, Father, for your name's sake, God. God, that we would know you, Father, that we would walk with you, Father. God, that we wouldn't live lives that would grieve the Holy Spirit. God, that we would live lives, Father, that would honor you. God, you know exactly where each one of us are at. You know exactly, God, what's in our hearts. You know exactly where we've been. You know exactly where we're going. You know us, Father. God, we we can't run from you. Where can we go? God, you see us and you know us. Even in the midst of our rebellion. Father, you love us. The love that you have for us is not for us to remain in rebellion towards you, but it's to reveal yourself to us. We're lost without you. We need you, Father. We need a Savior to free us from this old man, from this old woman, this nature which we're born into that's in complete rebellion against your throne. The hope that we have in Christ is that we can be born again of this new nature, restored back to you in complete fellowship with you. And nothing can compare to that. No other love, nothing, nothing in this world can satisfy us. Only Jesus. When we truly know him, when our eyes have truly been opened, Father. Father, I thank you. Thank you that your loving kindness endures forever. And I pray, God, if there's any among us today, Lord, God, I would be listening at a later time, Father, that, God, they know they're not right with you, that they, they're not in Christ. They may have a form of religion, but, God, they're not in Christ. They're not in intimate, close fellowship with you. Oh, God, I pray that they would not take another step without humbling themselves before you, Lord, and calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Yes. They would come to have a, a confession and a belief, Father, that Jesus, you are the Son of God and that you rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. And that, God, they no longer want to remain an enemy of yours, but God, they want to be engrafted in to your family, not by any of their works, but by all the means of which Christ paid for us. To be restored back to our Creator, to their Creator, God. I pray they wouldn't slip into an eternity apart from you, Father. But that, God, that they can live out the remainder of their days, Lord, knowing, God, that they are fully secured. Mm -hmm. 
in Christ, sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. And that for eternity, God, that they will be with you. We thank you for this promise, Father. Bless our time together in the reading of your word, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Application. <laughs> Seven months into it. Holding it before us in hopes to really encourage us, including myself, that we keep pressing in. That we don't grow weary, that we don't give up, that we don't get discouraged, that we don't keep going back to the old, that we don't keep lapping up the vomit. That we are laying down the old things, the old ways, the old habits, the old thoughts, and that we are being renewed. Daily in Christ. Application, sustained effort. It's hard work. The Christian walk, the Christian life is not a cakewalk. It's hard work. We're behind enemy lines. Yet, we have the promises of God. He knows where we're at. Even we read last week in Jesus' prayer, He didn't ask us to be taken out of the world. No, he's sending us into the world as new creations. Not as people who just keep living their old ways, their old life, and just stamping Jesus on their life. No, a new way of life, a new way of living. To go forth and to be his ambassador. To go forth and to walk in his identity, in his purpose, be in his hands, his feet. To look through His eyes. To cling to Him. Because in and of ourselves we wouldn't do it, but because we know we've been born again of a new nature, of the Spirit, we can walk confidently, not in and of ourselves, but in Christ, because Christ is victorious. Yes. So yet, though the Christian walk is hard, We're walking it out from a place of victory. We have a victory mentality, not a victim mentality. Again, we're not broken. You may feel broken. You may still have all the same issues. <laughs> but as you're maturing, as you're growing, as your thoughts are being renewed, you realize that I'm no longer making decisions based on my feelings, based on my brokenness, based on my past, based on my lack. But I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm whole. And so now I need to start making decisions out of a place of wholeness, which in and of ourselves we can't comprehend, but in Christ we can. He's our example. We're to live as Christ lived. That's what the Bible says. It's His standards. Yes. And that He is to give us everything we need to live it out. Yes. He just doesn't call us to it and says, figure it out. No. No. He walked it out before us. It wasn't easy for Christ. He came into the world. 
And the world that He created hates Him. He came to His own people and they denied Him. He was crucified. He, he was beaten. He was spit upon. His body was ripped to shreds. Oh, they loved Him for a moment. And then they yelled, Crucify Him! And we see it all through Scripture. Mankind, the created, rebelling against their Creator. And yet the Creator is pouring Himself out constantly. Revealing Himself constantly. Because He's just. God, the God, the only God. And he knows his plan and he knows his purpose and he's not man that he should lie. He's bringing about what he has established before he spoke and the earth was formed. God will have a people, you all. Rather you believe or not, rather you're on board with it or not, God will have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. They will live for him. They will love him with their very being. They're not whoring around in bed with everything and anything, trying to meet a need that only God can fill. Oh, we got to wake up. As the day and the age continues to move on, until the Lord returns, it's going to get crazier. But God has called us for such a time as this. I keep in trying to encourage us as long as there's breath within our bodies. If you're calling yourself a Christian, if you truly are a Christian, one who's been redeemed, purchased by Christ, living now because of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, marked and sealed as a child of God, there's a way in which you ought to be living now. And this generation preparing for His return, you're different. You're marked different. That's how you're growing. That's how you're maturing. Even in those times that you fail, even in those times that you sin, sin doesn't master you any longer. That's the difference. You repent, you get up, you recognize, what am I doing here as the Holy Spirit is convicting you? It's a continual work. Sanctification. We're not perfected until we're with Him. But you ought to be maturing, you ought to be maturing. Stop making excuses. You making excuses for your lack of growth, your lack of application in your Christian life amount to nothing. It's nothing. It's just words. It's just excuses. It's just you still in rebellion towards a holy God. Go read Jude. You want a good book to sit and meditate upon this week? It's a short little book. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Go read it. God's not playing you all. I know we want to make him this weak willed God. But he is holy, holy, holy.
That's how we're to be living. That's how we're to be moving and navigating through this unholy world. As agents, as ambassadors, as people who are carrying Christ into a world that hates Him. But yet we march on we're fully equipped, you all. If you're lacking, it's because you are not purposing to get up and move forward. Choose you this day whom you will serve. He's not going to force us to follow Him. He's not going to overtake us and then force us and drag us along. No, it's a life of obedience now. It's a, it's a life that's completely surrendered. And it's not a forced surrendered. You don't have to love him. You don't have to follow him. You can continue to go about the way you want to go in this world. Have your full of it. That's all you got. In the end. In the end. You know, we're all dying. You're one step closer to the grave today than you were yesterday. Before you know, you're going to fall right into it. Dead. No life. Nothing. Here today, gone tomorrow. As my new favorite phrase, dust. Dust. Dust is all you are. Dust is what you're going back to. And I pray to God you're still not chasing dust. Trying to find purpose in dust. And this is what we're living our lives for. See, when we're blinded, when the enemy is blinding us and we, and we can't recognize God, <laughs> we chase after dust. We long for dust. We long for it all. Yet, it always leaves us empty. Empty. More selfish, more angry, more bitter, more jealous, more of this, more of that, more of this, more of that, more confused, more depressed, more anxious, more this, more that. It's all it gives. It's all it gives. It's all it gives. And it's tearing everything apart. It brings division. It brings strife. And so as a Christian... You're marked now by Christ. You're the fruit of the Spirit. You're growing and you're maturing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and long-suffering. It's different than what I just described. Because now you're different. Now you're whole. Now you have purpose. Now you understand the, 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 the fullness of life and why, why you were even birthed in this chaotic world. And you can get up every day with joy in your heart, even when your circumstances suck or they may never change. You can still live a life. You can still embrace the fullness 
that's in Christ. The hope that is in Christ. You can walk by faith and not by sight. You can begin to testify of his goodness. You will begin to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will understand that sin crouches at your door. And its desire is to master you, but you must master it. You begin to get up and apply truth. I know how I used to live. But we're not that person any longer. So now then, how shall we live? And everything out there, you all, everything out there, you all, you are being bombarded left and right, even among quote-unquote, the church being bombarded with false ideals, teachings, cravings, everything to try to lure you from the truth. And that's why application. That's why you said, why do you always, can't you move on to another topic? Oh, we will in January. (laughs) But until then, are you growing? Are you growing? This is serious. This isn't just to get get up to do just to do. But are you getting up with purpose? Like, I need to apply truth. I need to live it out. I need to guard my heart. I need to mind my manners. I need to take thoughts captive. There's a way in which I need to live, not because I'm forced to, because it's a burden. No, because I long to please my king. Take the world, just give me Jesus. It's a way in which we are to live. So application, 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 sustained effort. It's hard work. You're to give your full attention to the task that is at hand. You work hard. And as we've heard throughout the year, applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. Not just some, but all. If you don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book, an impractical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself is with us. The degree, the degree, the degree, the degree to which we study, memorize and meditate on God's word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding the word word applies is not enough. On how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. You must actually do it. Obedience. Obedience. And I keep encouraging you. You'll know know if you're actually applying God's truth to your life because you'll begin to see obedience come forth. It's just natural. No, I don't do that any longer. Your former friends will make fun of you. Your family will make fun of you. People won't understand. But you keep moving forward. You're not pleasing man anymore. You're not trying to fit in with the crowd. Oh, if they would just love me. If they would just accept me. If they would just let me be part. 
Dust. Dust. You're chasing dust. You're chasing dust. Your feelings are wounded because of dust. No, when you're secured in Christ, let them reject you. Let them mock you. Let them laugh at you because ultimately they're not rejecting you. They're not mocking you. They're not laughing at you. It's Christ. So stop being so sensitive and start being prayerful. Start maturing. Start growing. Start praying for them. Start just keep living among them. Trust me. You keep living as Christ lived, they will leave you. Let that be their choice. But stop cowering down and giving in and giving up. Obedience comes forth from applying the truth of God's word. Application implies action, and obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come alive in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study, and it serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us to better distinguish between good and evil, especially in our generation, where evil now is good. And you're evil if you call evil evil. It's twisted. It's chaotic. It makes no sense. But we must live upright amongst a wicked and a perverse generation. We must continue to go forth. We must continue to be good stewards of all that He's entrusted to us. We must be Christians. So I keep encouraging you Especially if if you work out there. Be a good worker. Work hard. Be honorable. Work as unto the Lord and not as unto man. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Stop fault finding. Stop rebelling against authority. Stop running amok. You're marked differently. And when you see that you're running amok, when you see that you're doing this and that and this and that, and the Holy Spirit says, no, that's not who you are any longer. Come this way. Start making the choices to do that which is right. Start thinking upon that which is right, which is pure, which is lovely. (laughs) Start allowing Him to be God. When you're out and about in the community, be honorable. Be pleasant. Let them in. Let them go ahead of you. Let them have their way. Stop fighting for your right. Start being Christ-like. Start having healthy boundaries. In relationships. You know? We're not called to be doormats. We have healthy boundaries. We're to set up these boundaries. And it's okay. It's okay to have boundaries. 
It's okay to walk secured in Christ. They don't want to hear. They don't want to receive. They want no part of it. It's okay. They have every right. Shake the dust off your feet. Move on. Move on. Stop clinging to dust, which just goes through your fingers. Just keep grasping for it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And you, you can't even grow. You can't even mature. Oh, that you would know the love of the Father. That you would understand all that He has done. All of who He is. And all that He's called you to. And that you would apply the Word of God. Because we're be, we are to be the people of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. Christian. Christians. That's why the Bible says, live different now. If you are vile with your language, well now, don't be vile any longer. Speak that which is building up. If you are a thief, quit stealing Work hard and give generously because it's a totally opposite nature. You're bound by perversion? Well, get up and start living a pure life. Exposing the fruitless deeds of darkness. We just can't keep calling ourselves Christians and gathering our Christian communities and then flooding right back out as if we're unmarked. We're marked when we're together. But then when we're out and about, all of a sudden we lose our identity. And somehow we think that's pleasing a holy God? Somehow we think that he's on the throne going, oh, that's okay. No. Oh, that we would wake up, wake up, wake up from our sleep. And that we would press in and press on to greater things. Not your mansion, not your better car, not that your lights will be paid for the next six months. God, do this for me, do that for me, do this for me, do that for me. No, greater things for the kingdom. And if it's so, doing the greater things for the kingdom, you receive, well, praise be to God, receive, and then be a good steward of it, and then give it away. Again, it's not bad to have things, to have dreams, to have hopes, but those things, those dreams, those hopes aren't to be your God. They shouldn't have you. God is the only one that should have you. All of you, not just some of you, but all of you. Because he's God, you all. He's God. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. This is our hope. This is who we are, especially if you're a Christian. This should be your hope. This is who you are. This is how you're maturing. This is how you're growing. This is how you're getting up from among the dead religion and stepping over the dry bones, calling them to life, but if they don't want to get up, keep moving. Keep moving. You're not Holy Spirit Junior. Just keep moving. You just keep moving forward. Oh, we have to wake up, you all. 
Go to 1 John 1 7. Scriptures that I've been holding up in hopes to encourage you to keep applying the Word of God. And listen, if you haven't started applying the Word of God, it's okay, it's okay, don't beat yourself up. Poor me, poor me, look, I'm not a good Christian, I can't be like everyone else. Stop that foolish talk, because you're only looking at yourself, tripping your own self up. (laughs) Start today. Start today. Repent. Get up. Start today. Maybe you started strong beginning of the year, but maybe you've wandered off. Well, don't beat yourself up. Get back up. The Holy Spirit's calling you, bringing conviction to your life. Remember, it's His love that leads us and draws us to repentance. You can't repent on in and of yourself. No, you repent because God is gracious and it's His love that draws us to repentance. So stop the shame, blame game. Oh, I'm a bad Christian. Oh, all of us. Get over yourself. Recognize that you need to die to self. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow Him. So start today. And keep going. Keep going. Again, everything out there. And everything of the old in here. That flesh nature, it's at war with your spirit. That's what Galatians tells us. And you think you're just going to, my favorite phrase, roll out of bed and get through the day. No, you have got to learn. You've got to learn how to take the word, your sword, and use it. This is your weapon. You have to understand The armor of God. You have to understand when in Ephesians it tells you after you've done all you know to do, then just stand and stand there for them. Because the battle belongs to Him. See, there's a way in which we're to be living, you all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If you would just apply that truth, what does that look like to apply that? 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus. And we started our, net, our new series last Friday on the blood, the precious blood. And I would encourage you to get here on Friday nights. Get the book. Come, be among us. And if you can't, at least get the book and read it for yourself. It's a small book. Understand the importance of how you as a believer need to have a foundational truth of the precious blood of Christ so that you will awaken from your slumber and making it so common that you're just splashing it up on everyone and it means nothing. There's no power in it. It's not how you're to be living. Listen to what the Word of God says. Then we will have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus 
His Son, look what it does there. It cleanses us from all sin. So if sin is mastering you today, child of God, get up, remind yourself that the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, the risen one, has cleansed me from all sin. You will not master me any longer. I have one master now. His name is Jesus. I'm a slave to righteousness. I don't know how you're talking. I keep encouraging y'all to be the best preacher you know. You. You. Y'all looking out for the best preacher. Oh, I listen to the most anointed preacher. How sad. How sad. How sad. Because it should be you. Yes, we need preachers. Yes, we need pastors. Yes, we need evangelists. Yes, they all have their part to play. We all have a part to be a part of. The body of Christ. But you yourself should be able to preach the Word of God first and foremost to yourself before you go out there and act a fool in front of others trying to demand them to live the way and you don't even know the way. No, there's a way in which you to live, you all. Repetitive. Repetition of truth over and over and over. The Bible says in Romans, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. By renewing our minds. That's why I always tell you what another big lie, and I hear people say it all the time, well, I'm just a sinner. All I am is a sinner. I'm not like Jesus, only Jesus. And that's a mockery. You were once just a sinner. But if you're truly a believer, if you're truly a Christian, my identity is not my old nature. So I'm not dragging my old nature and then putting Christian after it. I'm not a drunken Christian. I'm not a lying Christian. I'm not a gay Christian. I'm not an adulterous Christian. I mean, come on. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. My identity is a child of God. Well, what are you trying to say? You're not going to sin? Oh, devil, you're a liar up all up in my face. No. But the difference is, is when I sin, it's not my identity. It's not going to master me. Because I'm a child of God, because I have the Holy Spirit of God in me, I've been regenerated. I am new. I'm a new creation. And that truth and that truth alone brings forth conviction. What am I doing there? Why am I thinking that? Why am I acting? Why? No, God, I'm sorry. It's a genuine repentance. Like, oh, God, forgive me. And he does. 
and we don't cheapen His grace. Oh, forgive me, forgive me. We're not flippant about it. He knows your heart. Remember, He told His people in the Old Testament, they cry out to Him. And He says, stop it. Stop praying. I'm not even listening to you. In the New Testament, it says about repentance. Don't have a worldly repentance. It means nothing. Now you're believing that you're manipulating God. That somehow you're above Him and you're pulling the strings. See how foolish that is? You gotta wake up. You gotta wake up, you all. The Bible says we're to be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. God, how did you go about this week? How did you go about this week? Confronting the lies, confronting the the temptation. Remember, temptation in and of itself is in sin, but he makes a way out of every temptation. Did you see the way out of it or did you just bite into it? Because in that moment, it felt right to unleash what I had to say. Think the way I wanted to think. Do what I wanted to do. Give in to what I wanted. You understand? So no, you're not just a poor, wretched sinner. Oh, you are if you're not in Christ. Oh, that is your condition. But if you're in Christ, you better know your new nature. Child of God. New nature. So that when you see yourself entangled in sin, you know what the Bible tells us? What do we do when a Christian, when a child of God, finds himself entangled in sin? Well, we're not just to be identified. Well, I'm just, I'm just a poor, wretched sinner. No, the Bible says, the Bible says to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. It didn't say beat yourself up. It didn't say do all this. Work to be forgiven. No. Just get up. Is that easy? Not in and of yourself, but in Christ, yes. Because he's accomplished everything already. But what if I find myself there tomorrow? Well, why are you worried about tomorrow? Tomorrow has enough worries. You stay focused on here and now. And if you find yourself there tomorrow or the next week, then do the same thing. Get up and mean it. That it be genuine. That it be a sorrow like, ah, ah. Because you're a child of God. Unless, unless we keep, well, can't be Jesus. But you understand the word of God, the word of God tells us. How are we supposed to be living our lives? Here's the answer. The Bible tells you like Jesus did. Do you understand the lies that the church is being given, lulled to sleep by the enemy? Shh. Shh. He's screwing with our identity. He's manipulating it. The world system is presenting all these false ideals. 
trying to lure you. And your very old nature, if you're a Christian that is supposed to be nailed to his cross, is screaming at you every day. It just wants to be in control. And you have got to get up each and every single day. Apply truth and live it out. Walk it out. So I fellowship is vital. First, fellowship with God. And then he's given us the church. Other people who have been regenerated, other people who have been born again, other people who are filled with his spirit. To come alongside and to encourage, to equip, to edify, and to build up. So there's some accountability. Come on, you all, there is work to be done. (laughs) It's just not about showing up on a Sunday, showing up whenever. It's a life, y'all. It's a life. This is who you are now. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Here's the scripture I was just talking about. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And then what do we do after we throw it off? The sin that so easily entangles us. Well, then run with endurance the race God has set before you. Notice you're not to be walling around in condemnation and shame and guilt. Oh, If you're truly repentant, if you truly tripped up, then get up. Stop playing the shame, blame game. Stop doing all that craziness. And just run with endurance. The race God has set before you. Oh, I've got got to fast and pray for 40 days. Oh, I just need God to love me a little bit more. I've been so bad. I've been so bad. And we're trying to manipulate God. There I am again. Listen, all these excuses, all these weird religious works. Rub the trinket. If I just go through them. If I light a candle, if I do this and I do that. We look like fools, you all. All for Jesus. The Bible says that to strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Throw it off of us. repentance and then run the race with endurance perseverance 
Move, y'all. Keep moving forward. That's the progression of the Christian life. You have to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Well, you've had 12 setbacks. Get up. Move forward. Move forward. Well, what does the church say? What do they think of me? It doesn't matter. Get up and move forward. Well, I, I, oh, oh, they're going to... If they find out, get up and move forward. Be transparent. Stop all the foolishness. People are sitting in churches shackled. For what? We're Christians. We're Christians. It's the way in which we're called to live. To honor Christ. To love Christ. To know Christ. And I'm passionate about it because I've been in seasons of that. So I don't make light of maybe where you're at or maybe what's coming ahead for you. I've been in those seasons. Listen, you all, freedom. That's why I love when Scripture says, once you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, good God, what are you going back to to settle for? If you haven't tasted and seen that He is good, oh, you're right. You'll turn from it. And you'll be chasing dust. Looking for something to satisfy you. It's got to fit in. Come on, you all. There's a way in which we're called to live. I have a devotional. I want to share with you before we move on. Gary's going to capture it in our notes. But it's so good. I said, man, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's right here. It's called walking in freedom. I'm passionate. You should be passionate about freedom in Christ. This is the message that we have. For people who are still enslaved to sin... Who's still locked up in prison cells. And not so much the actual prison cells, but the sinful old nature prisoned. Walking in freedom. You walk in freedom to the extent of the truth that you know. In John 8, 32, Jesus said to his disciples that you shall know the truth and the truth shall keep you in bondage. No, that's not what it says. John 8.32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As we shared in our last devotional, Jesus paid the full price, the full price, for your freedom on the cross. So, if that's the case, full freedom is available to you. Praise God. But it's up to you to grab a hold of it. It's up to you, to you to walk it out, to apply it. Eternal salvation, being born again, is the essential piece of the cross. But Jesus gave it all so that you could live victoriously on this earth. God not only desires eternity with you, he wants a relationship with you right here, right now. God, you all. Again, we can't learn our theology from the world. We can't learn our theology from TikTok. We can't learn our theology from the enemy. 
We can't even learn theology from ourselves. <laughs> well, that's what I believe God is to be. No. We learn of Him by Him, through His Word. Nothing added, nothing taken away. The Word. From beginning to the end. You have to know Him. He's not God stiff-arming us. We're stiff-arming God. We're His enemy. But even in that state, He's revealing Himself. As you know, I've merged off from the devotional for a moment. But He's revealing Himself. It's His loving kindness. You choose to continue to chase dust and have all these other idols in your life, that is your choice. Enjoy. God will turn you over to it. Have at it. But if you belong to Him, if you've given your life, if you've accepted this free gift of salvation, if you've repented, if you've been born again, oh, child of God, get up. Get up. Freedom is yours in every area. Don't settle. I try. I'm trying. That's the problem. You're trying. Get out of the way. Apply truth. Know Him. Abide in Him. Apart from Him, you could do nothing. Back to the devotional. When we get the revelation that we are sons and daughters of a loving Father who wants us, cares for us, walks with us, and has amazing plans for us, we begin to operate from a place of security that can only be found in Him. Foundational to the Christian life is believing that God is who He is, who He says He is, and therefore you are who God says you are. God is so in love with you He despises sin because it is the opposite of his nature and therefore the opposite of your nature as his image bearer. But he doesn't despise you. Your behavior isn't you. He is good, so good, in fact, that he forgets your sins and who you were before you met him. He casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. Because he does, we have no reason to live in guilt Shame and condemnation. John 17 verse 3 tells us that Jesus came to reveal the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When we get saved, our spirit steps into unity with the Holy Spirit. We sit at the table of fellowship with the living God, and we feast on His Word and relationship with us. We dialogue with him and get his word in, on the inside of us so that our souls are sanctified. Yes. Our souls, mind, wills, and emotions are still in rebellion and need saving. But as we internalize scripture, as we apply scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and convict us, we become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. So Romans 7 talks about our spirit man wanting to do one thing, the right thing, but our flesh despising to do the opposite, the good thing that we want to do. We do not do it. And the bad thing we don't want to do, we do that instead. Have you been there? Well, we can't stop here. 
We have to read on to chapter 8 because chapter 8 gives us the solution, verses 1 through 11, saying, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His one and only Son in the likeness of our sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is, an, is, at, enmity, is at enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8. I don't know if you're reading Scripture. I don't know if you're applying scripture. I don't know if you're preaching to yourself, dragging yourself in front of a mirror. But by God, it's about time you understand these truths. Oh, that's just so much, Rob. I'm illiterate. I can't read. I can't think. You don't know my background. Ah, all I know is your excuses are sending you to hell. I couldn't read. I wasn't a good student. Bound by everything, everything out there. A drunkard. On drugs. All these emotional problems. And if I allowed all that to keep identifying with me, I wouldn't be here preaching freedom to you. I mean, come on. How many excuses I hear. I used to give myself. And then I hear from people. As if we're just supposed to go along with them. Oh, poor you. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sad. Oh, that's so good. Oh, yeah. And you say, well, you're making fun. No, I'm not making fun. It's just a reality. That's what you expect people to do, especially other Christians. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, that's, oh, that's sad. Oh, I'm, oh yeah. Oh, I'll pray for you. No. Get your butt up. Stop being lazy. Get up and start applying truth, even if it's just starting with the letter A. Even if you start understanding one plus one is two. Just get up and start gaining understanding. Just get up. Stop making excuses. And stop making excuses for others. Well, you know, there you know. God is greater, God is bigger than our deformities. God is greater. God is bigger. There's a way to minister. 
There's a way to encourage. There's a way to help people to apply truth no matter where they find themselves in life. No matter what struggles they may have. There is a way. And His name is Jesus, you all. The devotion goes on. We walk in the directions of our minds. So what needs to change? Our carnal minds. Our minds that grew up in and are influenced by the ways and wisdom of the world system. Romans 12.2 says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's not an option. We must become spiritually minded so that we have life and peace. As disciples of Christ, that is your identity if you're in Christ. We must have our minds changed. And we do this by receiving the mind of Christ. How do we receive the mind of Christ? By getting the word of God inside of us on a regular basis and remaining in Jesus. When you find yourself struggling with temptation or wanting to break out of a habit, you know doesn't sit well with your Jesus-bearing image, then open the Bible. See what God has to say about it. You are guaranteed to find God's truth on any topic because every issue has a root. Google Scripture on that struggle, and you instantly get so many life-giving passages to memorize and speak to strengthen your inner man or woman. Get around God-fearing father and mother figures, around brothers and sisters who will point you to God and build you up in Him. And lastly, keep your heart soft and your conscience clean by obeying the Holy Spirit's conviction and promptings. He's here with you to create a new heart and renew a right spirit within you. The truth makes us and keeps us free. Application, you all. Application. Oh, God, how I pray. That is, you haven't fall death to the word. And if you have, then would you just ask God to give you a hunger for maturing, for growing, if you're truly his child. Started sharing over the past couple weeks about TFF, our church, a local church. We are a full functioning church. We don't have a building on the corner, but we have a meeting place in a home. But we're a fully functional church. I shared with you who we are, what our values are, I've been going over our statement of faith, what we believe. If you've missed out on that, you can go to the website. You can look at it for yourself. And I I encourage you to, especially if you're saying, that is my church home. That is my church family. You ought to know whom you belong to. Ultimately, it's Christ. (laughs) But then the body of Christ that he has brought you in to grow and to mature. You should be inviting others to come with you to church here. You should get involved. Oh, what am I going to do? just looks like there's only preaching being done. There's so much that can be done. You even know your giftings. I keep encouraging you. If you don't know your giftings, come sit down with me. There's so many opportunities to serve that we haven't even explored and expounded on because no one has stepped up. As I say all the time, Norma, the pastor can't do everything. Everything. You all have got to carry the burden and the load. It's easy. It's light. Unless you're like, oh, let's do it. But there's work to be done. 
There's work to be done. We're to be effective laborers out there in the harvest field, amongst the community, in our jobs, in our families, wherever. True Freedom Fellowship. What we believe. I shared 1 through 6 last week. Our statement of faith. I'm going to conclude this week from 7 to 12. Our statements of faith. We believe the church. We believe in the universal church. A living spiritual body of which Christ is the only head. And all regenerated persons are members. We believe in the local church consisting of a company of believers in Christ, baptized, having made a credible confession of faith and associated with for worship, work, and fellowship. We believe that God has given to the members of the local church the primary task to disciple all the nations. We believe in the ordinances. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has committed two ordinances to the local church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe that Christian baptism is is the immersion of the believer in water into the name of the triune God. We believe that the Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ for commemoration of His death till He comes. We believe that these two ordinances should be observed and administered until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in Christian conduct. We believe that a Christian should live for the glory of God and the well-being of his fellow men. That his conduct should be blameless before the world. That he should be a faithful steward of his possessions. And that he should seek to realize for himself and others the full stature of maturity in Christ. We believe in religious liberty. We believe that every human being is responsible to God in all matters of faith and conscience, and that each believer is a priest of God. We believe that the church is independent and must be free from the interference by any ecclesiastical or political authority. That Christians have the responsibility to seek to positively influence and be involved in the political process for the social benefit of the nation. However, the church and state must be kept separate as institutions, having different functions, each fulfilling its God-given duties and free from the dictation or patronage of the other. We believe in church cooperation. We believe that local churches can best promote the cause of Jesus Christ by cooperating with each other. And finally, we believe the last things. We believe that Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom of God in his first coming to earth. We believe Jesus Christ will return to earth in his glorified body to finalize his kingdom program. We believe in the resurrection of the body, the final judgment, the eternal joy of the righteous, and the endless suffering of the wicked. Our statement of faith is what we believe. And there's scriptures. You want to go back. Read all 12 of them. Sit down. Look at all the scriptures that tie in. You ought to know who you're uniting yourself with. First and foremost, Christ. And then the body of Christ. That you're saying is my family. And get plugged in. Get plugged in. Just don't be a taker. Just don't be a taker. 
do for me, do for me, do for me, do for me. And then when called upon, oh, I can't. Well, I don't You ought to be contributing. You ought to be serving. You ought to be building up. You ought to be holding people accountable. You ought not to be easily offended. You ought to be giving. Monthly. You ought to be a cheerful giver. Whatever you can give. And if you're sitting among us and you've been sitting among us and you don't place nothing in that little jar to help missionaries or the whatever the need is for that month, whoo, something's wrong with you. You're a taker. Like a leech just sucking. Just do for me. Make my life better. Help me. Help me. Come on. We're to be the body of Christ. And we need to be together. Accomplishing what God has called us to. And we're to be contributing. So if you're not unsure how you're to contribute, then let's meet, let's talk. There's so many needs among us. So get up from your place of slumber. And begin to be part of the body of Christ because you're needed. Without you, the body is hindered. You're needed. Your giftings, your callings, you're needed. We need you. The body of Christ at large needs you to be fully functional, you all. Prophecies concerning Christ. We're going to pick up today. I've started this with us over the past few weeks. <laughs> and hopes to equip you. Again, I've got a lot to, to share with you, to encourage you in. i got just a couple hours on a Sunday to, to try to encourage you to get up and to get out in your week and to remain focused on Christ, to keep your eyes on Him. So prophecies concerning Christ. This, this ought to encourage you. I want to show you that, again, He's not man that He should lie. Everything that He is promise are stated back in the old was fulfilled all in Christ so prophecy is important it shows God's control over history and that what he predicts does come to pass he is in control of his plan and purpose he will have a people that he will call his own and they will call him their God prophecy gives the integrity of scripture it protects us from false teaching And it prepares us for the last days. So the first prophecy we're going to look at today is the prophecy concerning Christ. The description is that he is to be the priest after Melchizedek. Go to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse 4. <clears throat> says here, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Spoken about the Messiah, about Christ. Was it fulfilled? Let's see, go to Hebrews chapter 6.
chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He who, Jesus, has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Fulfilled. Let's move on to the next prophecy. He would be rejected by the Jews. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Sharpening your sword. Don't let others do the work for you. You ought to be laboring in the week in the Word of God. Just don't wait for the pastor to get up to labor for you. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Again, a description of this prophecy that the Messiah will be rejected by the Jews. Isaiah 53, verse 3, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. This is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, talking about the Messiah, a prophecy of the Messiah, and how the Jews would treat him. Was it fulfilled? Well, go to John 1. John 1, verse 11. He, who, Jesus, came to his own people, and they, and even they, look, rejected him. Prophecy fulfilled. The next one, the final one for today. The prophecy concerning Christ, his triumphal entry. Go to Zechariah, verse nine, chapter nine, verse nine. Zechariah nine, verse nine. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. A prophecy. Zechariah spoke concerning Christ, the Messiah. Was it fulfilled? Let's see. John 12. Verse 12 through 15. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it. Fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. 
Come on, you all. And then you want to be like, well, man wrote the Bible. I mean, come on. I'm just saying how ignorant that sounds when people says that. And they say it because they're ignorant. Man couldn't put this together. And all the generational gaps and all the, the expanse of time. When your eyes are open, you see. Like all of it. All of it. From beginning to end. Completes God's plan. God's plan. God inspired man dependent, but God put it together. You're not to take away, you're not to add to it. This is what you need, you all. This is how you learn who He is and who you are and your purpose in Him. We're going to walk through Scripture today. Again, we do this portion, we end with this. And it's my hopes is that as you're hearing these Scriptures, just not to fill time, but it's my hopes and it's my prayers that we hear these Scriptures that we would begin to understand and to know our God. Now we begin to see that, wow, look, my God, like you've laid all this out. Like you're pleased to reveal yourself to me. That's so why we do a little in the Old Testament. We do a little in the New Testament. We go to a psalm. We have a few nuggets of Proverbs to end with wisdom. Listen, y'all, it's not for my benefit. <laughs> I've been in all week. <laughs> oh, actually two weeks now for these. Because we didn't do it last time. But are y'all doing it? It's important. I don't care what pastor you listen to or what teacher you listen to. Take what they are preaching, sit down with your word, and confirm it. That it's in the word. It's important. So, we are picking up. We closed out the first Chronicles. And now we're picking up in 2 Chronicles. We're making our way through the Bible, y'all. 2 Chronicles. And, and we understand that the book, and, and, you know, and I told you this before as we went through 1 Chronicles, that Chronicles, these books, these are, these are books that most Christians don't read. That it's repetitive. You can find it in Kings, you can find it in Samuel, and you're like, why do I need to read Chronicles? It's all long, it's like things I should already know. But listen, don't fall prey to that. You have to understand the reason. Why? Again, this is the Word of God. He put this together for us. Don't pick and choose what you want to read. Oh, hard, I don't want it. No, you have to understand. The passion behind the reason why God inspired this chronicler to write. Because remember, these are God's people who have been enslaved. They're now returning back to the land which their generations 
long ago had, but gave it up because of their rebellion. They turned from God, so God said, I'll take it from you then. You don't want it? Here, have what you want then. Have your slavery. Have your bondage. But I will have a people, God says. And there will come a day that I will fulfill what I purposed. I will have a people that, will, that I will call my own, and in return they will call me their God. And so yet here again, another community of people, thousands of people, being returned to this land they have no clue about. Coming back to a God that they are wishy-washy with. Coming back to a land that was promised to them. Who are we? And it's no different than us today. We've been enslaved. We've been in bondage to sin. And yet we've given our lives to Christ. He set us free. And now we're walking into this newness of life, this land, this, this promise. And all we, all, all we know is what's in the old. But oh, how we need our God. Now more than ever. We, we're to know His ways. To know our identity. To know how we're to take care of what's been given to us. The Chronicler does an amazing job inspired by the Holy Spirit to remind these people, this is your God. These are his, this, these are his promises. This is King David. The Messiah is going to come through him. He's laying everything out. This is how you worship. This is how you live your life. This is God moving through the lineage of David. This is how your gener the generations before you gave it all up because of their rebellion. But if you would just keep your eyes on God, trust in Him, believe in Him, He wants to do a new thing in you. And so as it was spoken then, so it is today. And so there's so much that we can get from the book of 2 Chronicles. And I hope that you received from the first from first chronicles today we're going to read first i'm sorry second chronicles chapter 1 through chapter 3 verse 17 we ended in first chronicles with the end of david's reign he turned everything over to solomon his son becomes king so we pick up with being reminded Solomon, son of David, took firm control of his kingdom. For the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. Solomon called together all the leaders of Israel, the generals and captains and of the army, the judges and all the political and clan leaders. Then he led the entire assembly to the place of worship in Gibeon. For God's tabernacle was located there. This was the tabernacle that Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. David had already moved the ark of God from Kidrajim to the tent he had prepared for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar made by Bezel, son of Uri, 
and grandson of Hur was there at Gibeon in the front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the people gathered in front of it, I love this, to consult the Lord. There in front of the tabernacle, Solomon went up to the bronze altar in the Lord's presence and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied to God, You showed faithful love to David my father, and now you have made me king in his place. O Lord, God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, Because your greatest desire is to help your people, and you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even death of your enemies, or a long life, but rather you ask for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested. But I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame, such as no other king has had before you or ever had in the future. Then Solomon returned to Jerusalem from the tabernacle at the, pal- at, at the place of worship in Gibeon, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses, He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. The king made silver and gold as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone. And valuable cedar timber was as common as sycamore fig trees that grow in the foothills of Judah. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Sicilia. The king's traders acquired them from Sicilia and at the standard price. At that time, chariots from Egypt could be purchased for 600 pieces of silver and horses for 150 pieces of silver. They were then exported to the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Aram. Chapter 2. Solomon decided to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord and also a royal palace for himself. He enlisted a force of 70,000 laborers, 80,000 men to query stone in the hill countries, and 3,600 foremen. Solomon also sent the message to King Hiram at Tyre. Send me cedar logs as you did for my father David when he was building his palace. I'm about to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. It will be a place set apart, oh come on, to burn fragrant incense before him and to display this special sacrificial bread and to sacrifice burnt offerings each morning and evening on the Sabbaths and new moon celebrations and, and at the other appointed festivals of the Lord our God. He has commanded Israel to do these things forever. Yes. This must be a magnificent temple because our God is greater than all other gods. Amen. But who can really build him a worthy home? Not even the highest of heavens can contain him. So who am I that to, to consider building a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices to him? So send me a master craftsman who can work with gold, silver, bronze, and iron, as well as with purple, scarlet, and blue cloth. He must be skilled, he must be a skilled engraver who can work with the craftsmen of Judah and Jerusalem who were selected by my father David. Also, send me cedar, cypress, and red sandalwood logs from Lebanon, for I know that your men are without equal at cutting timber in Lebanon. I will send my men to help them. 
an immense amount of timber will be needed for the temple I'm going to build will be very large and magnificent. In payment for your woodcutters, I will send you 100,000 bushels of crushed wheat, 100,000 bushels of barley, 110,000 gallons of wine, and 110,000 gallons of olive oil. King Hiram sent this letter of reply to Solomon. It is because the Lord loves his people that he has made you the king, their king. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who made the heavens and the earth. He has given David a wise son, gifted with skill and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord, a royal palace for himself. I'm sending you a master, I'm sending you a master craftsman named Huram Ab Abi, who is extremely talented. His mother is from the tribe of Dan in Israel, and his father is from Tyre. He is skilled at making things from gold and silver, bronze and iron, and he also works with stone and wood. He can work with purple, blue, and scarlet cloth and fine linen. He is also an engraver and can follow any design given to him. He will work with your craftsmen and those appointed by, by, by my Lord David, your father. Send along the wheat and barley, olive oil, and wine that my Lord has mentioned. We will cut whatever timber you need from the Lebanon mountains and will float the logs and rafts down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa. From there, you can transport the logs up to Jerusalem. Solomon took a census of all the foreigners in the land of Israel. Looked like the census his father had taken. He counted 153,600,000. He assigned 70,000 of them as common laborers, 80,000 as quarry workers in the hill country, and 3,600 as foremen. Chapter 3. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father. The temple was built on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, the site that David had selected. The construction began in mid-spring during the fourth year of Solomon's reign. These are the dimensions Solomon used for the foundation of the temple of God using the old standard of measurements. It was 90 feet long and 30 feet wide. The entry room at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple and 30 feet high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. He paneled the main room of the temple with cypress wood, overlaid it with fine gold, and decorated it with carvings of palm trees and, and chains. He decorated the walls of the temple with beautiful jewels and with gold from the land of Parvirium. He overlaid the beams, threshold, walls, and doors throughout the temple with gold, and he carved figures of cherubims on the walls. He made the most holy place 30 feet wide, corresponding to the width of the temple and 30 feet deep. He overlaid its interior with 23 tons of fine gold. The gold nails that were used weighed 20 ounces each. He also overlaid the walls of the upper rooms with gold. He made two figures shaped like cherubim, overlaid them with gold, and placed them in the most holy place. <coughs> the total wingspan of the two cherubim standing side by side was 30 feet. One wing of the first figure was seven and a half feet long, and it touched the temple wall. The other wing, also seven and a half feet long, touched one of the wings of the second figure. In the same way, the second figure had one wing seven and a half feet long that touched the opposite wall. The other wing, also seven and a half feet long, touched the wing of the first figure. So the wingspan of the two cherubim side by side was 30 feet. They stood on their feet and faced out toward the main room of the temple. 
Across the entrance of the most holy place, he hung a curtain made of fine linen, decorated it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and embroidered with figures of cherubim. For the front of the temple, he made two pillars that were 27 feet tall, each topped by a capital expanding upward another seven and a half feet. He made a network of interwoven chains and used them to decorate the tops of the pillars. He also made a hundred decorative pomegranates and attached them to the chains. Then he set up the two pillars at the entrance of the temple, one to the south of the entrance and the other to the north. He named the one on the south, Jacob, and one on the north, Boaz. My goodness gracious, these people are being reminded. These people are being reminded how great their God is. How the generations before them were called to live and to honor God, to worship God. Because He's God, you all. Because He's God. And we need the Old Testament, you all. I know a lot of people want to do away with it. But you need it. To truly understand the richness of our God. He's accomplished everything. Because everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. We need it. It's rich. It's vibrant. It, it, it should fill you to be like, oh, and there's so much deeper study that you as an individual can even go into. I could stand up here for hours and just dissect all of this for you. But I would encourage you, go, study, understand the importance. I mean, look what God is doing. And look what he continues to do, even in our day. Go to I mean, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is where we're picking up. Paul, addressing the church in Rome. Remember, we had already, we came out of chapter 5. You know, the church is in an uproar. There's things going on. Different teachings are coming in. Remember, these are, these are Jews that have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. These are Gentiles who have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. They both now, these two groups who, in the natural, are at the extreme of each other. But now they're together in one because of Christ. Because this is what God has planned from the beginning. So Paul's addressing them. He has to begin to tear down these weird teachings that are being taught. He has to begin to, to really get in and remind them. And that's why I've always told you, you can sum up these letters that Paul have written to the, wrote to the churches. Basically, he's telling them, grow up. <laughs> grow up. Remember who you are. Remember who you belong to. So these are letters that he, he, he's really like laying out for them. And so this... This teaching crept in to the Roman church that made grace, the grace of God, so common. It was like, hey, basically, went along something like this. Hey, we might as well keep sinning. It's okay. Because of God's grace. God's grace. God's grace. Grace, grace, wonderful grace, 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 grace. And we, they've made it like we've done today. Grace 
is being taught that it's the license to, to continue to sin. But that's not grace at all. Oh, remember, don't be lulled to sleep. Shh, shh. The devil don't mind whispering lullabies of Jesus in your ear. He comes as an angel of light. Remember, demons know scripture. They tremble at it. And we can barely open it to read it. I mean, come on. And so Paul is addressing this error that has crept in. And you'll see that all through the New Testament. We're warned, we're warned. I told you, go read the book of Jude this week. It's a little, a couple pages, if that. We're warned constantly of what's happening in the church until the return of Christ. These false teachers. And we're living in a generation now where they want to deconstruct the faith. Everything's slapped. Every message is Christianity. It's Christianity. Oh, that's Christianity. And it's not. It's demonic teachings. Even the Bible tells us that many in the last days will begin to follow. They will turn from the true faith and begin to follow doctrines of demons. I mean, come on. You can't make this stuff up. And then again, we just want to roll out of bed. I'm a Christian. I mean, come on, we've we got we to get right. got to wake up, wake up, wake up. So Paul's addressing this. He, he broke down, man, if you don't remember chapter 5, blah, go back and just sit with it. He broke down, he, he gave you the contrast between Adam, the one who brought sin, and Christ, the one who brought righteousness, the grace. Because of one man's sin, death. But because of one man's righteous act, life, grace. So we pick up here. If you know my testimony, I knew nothing of Romans 6 when I first gave my life to Christ. When I was locked up in my room, I said, God, my mind is chaotic. You got to speak to me because I feel like I'm losing myself. And I never suggest this, but I told you, I threw the Bible. And pages, boom, opened up. Romans 6, I started reading it and I was like, oh. And it brought me to my knees as I read it, you all. And then I had to read it again because I'm like, oh God, what? And I was trying to bargain with God. Then the Holy Spirit, I mean, just began just to reveal everything to me. I'm like, oh, God, I'm yours. Like, the power of sin is broken off my life. Why do I think I can continue to abide in it? And I told you all, when I got up from that floor, it's like junk was just falling off of me. And it's the first time in my life I didn't know where I was going, who I was becoming, or anything about my future. One thing I knew in that moment is I was free. There was a peace, there was a wholeness, there was a security, there was Christ, my creator, holding me. So scripture, man, so it does. It reveals to you truth. 
as we read earlier. And it's a truth that sets you free. Romans 6, well then, Paul says, after dealing, he's now dealing with this false teaching that has entered in. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, listen to those words. They're just not for them, they're for you. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried by Christ's baptism. Church, this is your identity. If you're truly a Christian. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now, now, not then, not when it comes, but now, today, we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin, come on, hear this, might lose its power in our lives. I'm just a sinner. Wretched man. I mean, come on. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Yes. We are no longer slaves to sin, for we died with Christ. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since, since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. We are sure of this. Come on, you can have confidence, you all. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death, death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you, who? You. Also, every day, every hour, every moment, every second, So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through your works. No, it doesn't say that. It says through Christ Jesus. So with this knowledge, with this understanding that I just read, Paul continues. Do not let sin control the way you live. I mean, come on. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, here's some application. Perk up. Instead, give yourselves completely, completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right. Listen, for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. It doesn't say you will never sin. But it's not to be your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then. 
since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly, not with a divided heart, but wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. My God, I'm about to run in this place. And you have become slaves to righteous living because of the weakness of your human nature. I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slave to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. But now, but now, you, who, you, must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do what's right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free. Come on. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Come on. And and, you know, there's a movement. It's been around, but it's it's, it's gaining ground in the church. They want to rip out the letters from Paul. Are you kidding me? Do you understand what you're up against? That's why people kill me when when I'm talking to people. I heard it on TikTok. Well, good gracious. Open up the word. Get amongst a church, a fellowship, a Bible-believing church. Get rooted. Get grounded. Be free. I don't know what others are seeing in your life. But trust me, they see it. They see it. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. You're as miserable and pathetic. Wounded, broken, busted, and disgusted. And you think that's honoring Christ? Not the state that I just mentioned, but the words coming out of your mouth. That humdrum. No, you can be broken, busted, and disgusted. Have nothing going good in your life. You can still walk upright with your head up. Because you got Jesus. My circumstances may never change, but let me tell you, my God, He's good. I will serve Him penniless. I will love Him regardless of the report. I mean, you understand how you're supposed to be living. But half, if not, I'm going to say half, the majority of people sitting in churches today, they're chasing dust, dust, dust. And when dust doesn't give them what they want, they blame God. Now God's the problem. God ain't the problem. God in His loving kindness keeps revealing Himself to you. 
You just keep chasing dust. Chasing dust. That's all that old nature knows to do is die. Christ came to set us free, you all. We're no longer slaves of sin, mastered by sin, mastered by death. Because if we truly believe, if we've truly repented, if we turn and we've acknowledged and we have this belief in confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He rose from the dead, I keep telling y'all, y'all need to understand when the Bible says that, it's those who have that belief and that confession who are truly born again. And it just can't be talk. Because as we know, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not just a bunch of talk. You can talk all you want about Jesus. But if your life hasn't changed for Jesus, because of Jesus, and I'm not talking about your circumstances, I'm talking about you. If transformation is not coming forth, something's wrong. Something's wrong. The mark of a true believer is transformation. Not perfection, but transformation. You're growing, you're maturing. You're getting up. You're craving the things of God. Help me, God. I'm lacking in this. Thank you for revealing that Holy Spirit. I want to walk in confidence today, not in and of myself, but in you, Lord. And you say, but, but, but could my circumstances change? Yeah, they could. But you just asking that showed me that you want your circumstances to be your God. I told you about that Jewish Proverbs that has stuck around with me for years since I heard it. The student runs to the, the rabbi, rabbi, rabbi. I want to know God. I want, I want to love God. I want to serve God. And the rabbi takes him because they were by the, the lake and he holds the student under the water, drowning him. To the point that the student was going to die, he then lifts him up. Tell me, tell me, student, what was your first thought? I just wanted to breathe. Go, go, come back when God's your first thought. I mean, the rich young ruler came running to Jesus. I want to follow you. Jesus says, well, go sell everything you have. Well, this is after the rich young ruler tells him how he's kept all the commandments. I'm a good person. Jesus said, well, go sell everything you have. And then come. And he turned and walked away sad, grieved. See, I don't know what's driving you to Jesus. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this. If it's not Jesus himself, it's the wrong motives. And the Jesus you find is not going to be the Jesus of the Bible. It's going to be an idol. And Satan has... Boom, erected in your life and just slap Jesus' name on it. It's all for him, you all. It's all for him. Jesus. See, when your eyes are open, because God is pleased to reveal himself to you, and in that revelation of God revealing himself to you through his son Jesus, you realize, oh God, I'm your enemy. Oh God, I'm wicked. 
Oh God, yes, I am a wretched sinner. God, I deserve death. Oh, but God, you revealed yourself to me through Jesus, the one in whom you sent to take my place. The one who took upon my wrath and what I deserved so that I could be restored back to you. No greater love than this. And all for what? Because you desire me? Who am I? God. You love me? You did that for me? I'm sorry, God. For how I've lived. I received this free gift. God, I believe that Jesus is your son. And that he rose from the dead. Defeating sin and death. I am restored back to you. That I am now born again of a new nature. I've received the Holy Spirit within me. And now I'm called forth to go out and to be an image bearer of my God. Of my King. And you want to live a humdrum life because you don't have toast to eat in the morning. I mean, for God's sakes. For God's sakes. Days of my beginning walk with Christ, I didn't have food. I went to my job, I didn't have lunch. Everyone else was going to lunch. I was hungry. I myself up against the wall, my knees with my word. God, I don't want to focus on my hunger. God, I just want to focus on you. I'm the scripture. It's the first time I ever read the scripture. Don't worry about what you'll eat. If he provided for the birds, if he dressed the fields, like he'll care for me. I mean, come on, you all. Oh, we got to get up. Go to Psalm. Let me quit. Lord Jesus. Psalm 16. Oh, how I pray you know him. Oh, how I pray you love him. (laughs) Psalm 16. Psalms. Oh, I keep encouraging y'all to read Psalms. Look up. I encourage you to keep looking up. Don't look out. Look up. Psalm of David. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. Oh, isn't that beautiful? I said to the Lord, You are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not part, I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the name of of their gods. Lord, you alone, oh, I love this, are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. 
for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad. Is your heart glad today, you all? No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body, my body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Go to Proverbs 19. Two nuggets of wisdom. And we're finished. Proverbs 19, verse 20 through 21. Woo, here's a good one. Grab hold of it. Get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise the rest of your life. Oh, finally, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Listen, you all, there's a way in which we are called to live, and it is for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close this, this last song of worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. That's what you do, Father. Oh, God, there's none like you, Lord Jesus. (laughs) 